Welcome to Terrible Books with Kate. I'm Laurel Woods. I'm Caitlin Wilson. And this is a podcast where every month I pick a terrible book. And then I finish it and then tell Laurel about it. This is our third episode. <laughs> Yay! We're pretty excited. Let's get right into it. Let's we're get here. right into it. We're ready. We're excited. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, do you want to tell what the book is and then read the back cover? Yeah. Okay. You do that and then we'll start talking about the book. I chose this book for you because of the front cover, mostly. It looks very dramatic. Uh, this book is called Restory. Restory? I've been saying it. Whoa, how have I been saying it? I read the whole thing. Because <laughs> it talks about the process of restoration. So uh-huh. I'm saying Restory. Restory. Okay. One who has been restored. Restory. Okay, do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's by Anne McCaffrey and the little thing under the title says in another body on another world sarah risked her life for a man of power and for an alien dream and it was one (laughs) dollar on the cover it's got a very rugged looking man with curly hair who is holding a woman wearing a white robe he, they are both barefoot, and it looks like they're both kind of just wearing robes. And in the background, there's a bunch of rockets launching, and it looks very futuristic. Um, and the back says, She was a restory, kidnapped, torn from Earth by a bizarre and nameless black force. Sarah had no idea where she was or why she was in a beautiful new body. Enslaved, controlled by brutal guards, and tamed by terror, she could not comprehend her role as a nurse for a man who appeared to be an idiot awakened but once she discovered that the planet she had been brought to was lothar and that the man she was earning and that the man she was caring for was its regent sarah knew they had to escape and fast and when they did they became fugitives on a world of multiple evils bound together on a daring adventure that would either join them for all time or separate them forever intense yeah I mean, looking at this back page, I'm a little worried that it's going to fall into the, like, exploitation kind of, like, thing, which I thought should have thought about beforehand. How do you mean? Like, it's going to be very, like, women in a very subservient role, some probably gross rapey stuff. Spoiler alert. Okay. Nope. Yay! Spoiler (laughs) alert. We do not have to put trigger warnings on this episode. Uh, So... Yeah, you have a handful of little sticky notes in mm-hmm. here. I don't have as many as I did for our last book. Oh, um, yeah. Well, for sure. Not every book can be host. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, let's get right into the to the characters then. Okay. The characters in this book, um, it mentions on the back cover, the girl who's kidnapped from Earth. It's a girl Sarah. named Sarah. Sarah with no H, because H's are ew. Um... anyway yeah sarah and she is from a small town in connecticut um and leaves her family and goes to live in new york city and one night as she's walking through new york city a black powerful force overcomes her just like everything goes black she feels immense pressure and then she's gone from earth and she oh. can't remember she can't remember anything and this this is how the book starts out the first chapter first page it's just like this is me sarah i'm walking through the park and then all of a sudden this happens and it's from the go 
from the get-go, you're just off to the races. And it's very, very intense. Um, <laughs> especially, so the descriptions, she, it's a traumatic event for her that she is, she's basically abducted by this powerful force. And she can only recall it in flashbacks because her mind has just blocked out so much of what happened while the abduction was happening. Oh. When she finally comes to herself and is not kind of floating in a sh- in a haze of shock anymore. She comes to herself and realizes that she's now employed as a nurse in a medical facility on a different planet. She she knows that because she can't understand everything that people are saying. She can't understand a few words that the people around her are saying. And from that she infers, okay, I must have been here long enough to pick up some of the language, Mm -hmm. but I can't remember any of that because of the shock that my system was in. So she's finally come into herself now. And this is where the next character comes in. His name is Harlan and he is her ward. So she, as a nurse is assigned to this specific patient Uh and she assumes that he's mentally deficient. She just feeds him, bathes him, takes care of him, is with him all day long, just walking with him. He doesn't talk. He doesn't do anything of his own volition. He's just in a vegetative state, basically. People in vegetative states, is that going to be a theme I in guess our so. podcast? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. As she comes to herself more and recognizes what's going on around her, she recognizes a visitor that comes to visit Harlan. She doesn't recognize him by face, like having known him before. She just, I guess, sees him and assumes, oh, this guy is a high up in the government and really cares about Harlan because of the way he's dressed and the way that the runners of the medical facility are, are talking to him. They're speaking deferentially. And, uh-huh. and, um, and so she pieces together this puzzle that Harlan was a high up in the country and then fell prey to this bout of insanity that's sweeping across this world. All all of a sudden, people are just going insane. Huh. And nobody knows why. And everyone's, like, despondent about it, of course. And this government official who comes to visit Harlan um, is speaking freely in front of Sarah because they assume that she also is mentally deficient. Challenged. Or whatever. I don't know. Challenged. It's, what what so, word should we use? I don't know. Because in, okay, I was reading in the Wikipedia article also where it summarizes the plot. And it uses the word retarded, which I, like, I don't think that's the word we're using. No. Yeah. For sure. So, mentally challenged? I think that's the word. I mean. That's what we can go school, with. In school, that's, like, the word that we okay. were using. We'll we'll use that. Mentally challenged. Um, and I. She picks everything up from clues and just listening to what's going on around her. Uh-huh. So it turns out that she and all the other nurses in this facility are assumed to be mentally challenged because they were picked up from like a wreck and then and their bodies were burned and then they were restored by this one doctor. And so. Oh, wait. So no, no, no. So all of the nurses. Mm hmm. Suffered a huge trauma Mm -hmm. and then were rebuilt. Yes. Like the $6 million man. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So. But not all of the nurses are from Earth. Okay. They're from the world that they're on, which is called Lothar. 
Okay. And so everyone assumes that Sarah also is a Lotharian. She looks like they're similar enough in build and physique Mm -hmm. that everyone just thinks she's from Lothar. And so... 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 The thing that injured all of these people, was it, like, the ship that she was on crashing? They came came from different ships. There were different ship crashes. Okay. Um, I don't remember how Sarah's ship got to where it did, because she doesn't remember. So, she, because when she comes to herself, this is where she's at. She doesn't remember how she got there. And so, it's never really fully explained how her ship got there. Okay. So, um... As she's overhearing this high official talking with the, um, I want to say runner, but who's like the instigator of this medical program uh-huh. at this hospital, um, because they don't think she knows what they're talking about, they are free with their words around her, and she figures out that they have intentionally drugged Harlan to take him out of his seat in the government. Oh my gosh. It's treachery and treason. So <laughs> they took it, they made it look like he was insane and are continually injecting him mm-hmm. with a drug that, that makes his faculties shut down. So he's just doing basic living functions. He can't think or talk. And they're also administering it to him in his food. And that's the bulk of where he gets it. They only do the injections every so often. Okay. So Sarah hears this and realizing she's like, I don't want to be here. This is not a place that I want to be, but I can't escape by myself because I don't know anything about this world. I don't speak the language. I need this man to come to his senses so that we can escape together so he can help me. So she starts depriving him of the food that comes. They bring food for him and then food for her on separate plates. Mm -hmm. And so she'll divide it in half and give him half her food and and she eats half of it and then just throws away the food they bring for him. Wow. And he starts to come to himself. Okay. There is a setback. Uh-huh. But they they discover that she's feeding him from the wrong plate, but they just think it's like a temporary mix-up. Okay. Thank goodness, because then she can go back to her ruse <laughs> and keep doing it. And finally yeah. he wakes up and, and she explains to him and, and they carry on like a, a pantomime of how he was before. She tells him, look, you have to act like you don't know what's going on when we're out and about in the gardens or whatever. So they carry that on until there comes a time for them to escape. They have to go through a force field that's surrounding this place. And Wait, how far into the book are we at this point? Um, Probably like 20 pages. Oh my gosh, there's so much that happens in this book. No, yeah, I know, for I, real. I, I was thinking like, oh, you're zooming through, the, through this plot and we'll have to go back and like no. redo some of the details. <laughs> But no, no, this this is is the beginning of the book. You are in the action all (laughs) at once. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's very, it's very gripping. It really grabs you as you go through it. Um, So then they escape. Harlan realizes there's going to be people in the air looking for him. And so they have to escape through some like wheat fields, whatever their equivalent for wheat is. I don't remember what they called it. And then finally they get to the edge of the wheat fields and there's a cliff that drops down to the sea and he sees some guys in a boat and he asks Sarah, do you know how to swim? And she says yes. And so they swim out to the boat. They steal the boat. (laughs) And then he's like, okay, well, do you know how to sail? And she's like, I know a little bit about it, but I'll do this part and you do this other part. What? Yeah. Okay. So they're dividing up the sailing duties. Uh And then once they get like out 
to sea and they're past the danger of being discovered by the people that they stole the boat from. They, they were like fishermen and they were on shore having lunch, drinking, doing whatever. So they weren't on their boat. Um, so once they're past the danger of being discovered by those guys, Harlan admits that he actually doesn't know how to sail. And so basically Sarah is the one that's bearing them away on this boat. And she's like, I barely know anything about sailing, but I, I guess this is what we're doing. Okay, let's go. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it's, it's very intense. Um, he's leading them to a place of somebody that he knows is still loyal to him. So he realizes, he recognizes after she tells him how she got him out of his drugged stupor and what the conversations were that she heard, he realizes I've been betrayed, but I do know some people from my military squadron that are still loyal to me. And that's where we're heading. So they go there, they meet up with the guy. He has some sons. Um, Harlan's brother is also there. There's a lot of um, relatives that I couldn't keep straight all the time, but uh-huh. there's like a half brother and a cousin and a nephew and they're all loyal still to Harlan and Harlan's faction of the government. They're not loyal to the guy who is trying to commit this treason. Okay. His name is Gorlot. G-O-R-L-O-T. You would say, you would say Gorlot, right? Yeah. You wouldn't say like Gorlo, like no. French maybe? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so we're pronouncing that Gorlot. Um, <laughs> so... They devise a plan to get back into the city and convene the council so that Harlan can go before the council, prove to everybody that he's sane, and get reinstated as the regent of the land. So he's not the high ruler. Uh The high ruler is the warlord. But then the warlord has a regent who is in charge of military actions and in charge of the military, basically. And and is the warlord the person... So who who is the person who... Was giving him these drugs. Gorlot is is now the regent, so he overthrew Harlan and then stepped into Harlan's place. Oh, okay. But he yeah, he yeah. was like part of the council before that and kind of weaselled his way in close to the warlord, which is Harlan's nephew. Yes, it's Harlan's nephew who is currently the warlord. Okay, and his name is Farrell. Okay, and so Farrell is the warlord. Harlan was the regent for Farrell. Uh huh. Then, you know, got taken over by insanity and Gorlot stepped in as Farrell's regent. Okay. How? Clear? Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> okay. it's it's clear now. And Sorry I'm yawning so much. I don't know. I'm not bored. Okay, good. I'm, I'm just like, I keep on yawning and just yawn. <laughs> yawn. Um, the, um, I, I guess, uh, how is it that the nephew is the higher position? Um, something to do with direct bloodlines. He's okay. more directly related to the, the original, the ancient, warlord. yeah, the okay. ancient ancestor. That certainly says something line. about your political system. If you're, uh... no, yeah, they they actually talk about that later in the book. They oh, talk, really? Yeah, they're like, this okay. isn't a great way to handle this. <laughs> and I was like, way to go, Wait, guys. Is this secret? Is this secretly like political propaganda? No. Okay. It's too far removed. It's too. Uh, yeah, it's not okay. <laughs> It's too much on a different planet. I see. Um, so they're at Harlan's old friend's house with all of his squadron. They devise a plan to get back into the city so he can get in contact with Farrell, have Farrell convene the council, prove that he's sane, step back into his position, and okay. oust Gorlot. Part of the plan that they come up with, because they can't figure out how to get everyone into the city 
in a sneakily enough way, a sneaky enough way, is that they're like, well, nobody knows Sarah. Every, uh, the rest of our faces are known in the city, but nobody knows Sarah. Let's send her. Which this is my first real criticism of the book. Sarah doesn't know anything. She can barely speak the language. Uh-huh. She doesn't know anything about protocol or who, how to address. She doesn't know anything about their culture. Right. She, she barely knows how to talk to them. Uh-huh. So they're just going to send her willy-nilly into this really high-stakes political situation to try and figure that out for them. That seems risky. Seems, yes. Yeah. Very I, risky. I mean, you, you weren't a little taken aback by the fact that, like, the beginning of the book starts out with, so she has this irrecoverable memory, but we're here now. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, like, take all of that out off the off the table. Uh, we don't have to explain any of that. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I guess. I don't know, because I would think that they would spend a little more time tutoring her. But I guess time is of the essence. I, I just think you should you could come up with a, with a better plan. But actually, the author, so the author of this book is a woman, Anne McCaffrey. And I'm going to talk about her a little bit later, because I want to, um, I looked up a lot about her, and actually am really an admirer of Anne, Anne McCaffrey. Um, so we're going to talk about her a little bit later, oh. but because she's a lady... Um, I think she's trying to bring out here that Sarah isn't helpless. Sarah's not going to sit around while the men do the stuff. Yeah. Even though she's not qualified to be part of this plot, she's going to step in and do her part. Go Sarah. Go Sarah, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's good. As as they're planning, actually, an opportunity comes up for them all to get into the city. So they're like, we can do away with that plot. Sarah doesn't have to get in trouble. Um it comes about because they need extra security forces in the city for this big festival that is happening. They have two moons on this planet and there's a double eclipse happening and it's a big old festival. Everybody comes, tourists come into the city and, and, you know, carouse in the streets, do a bunch of stuff. (laughs) So they need extra security forces for this. And so one of the, one of the military people has come to this house and he's one that's still loyal to Harlan. And then he discovers Harlan there. And he's like, oh, my gosh, you're back. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to take you into the city. This is going to be great. So he makes up his little squadron of these four guys. And then they can all get in with this military clearance instead ah, of having to sneak in. Uh-huh. So that works out really well for everybody. Sarah goes in by another route because she's going to meet up with them later. Mm-hmm. Um, because Harlan has taken quite a shine to Sarah. Of course. If you can see from, I'm going to post this on our Instagram so everyone can see what the cover of this book looks like, but they are looking very lovingly into each other's eyes. Mm -hmm. I just have to insert right here that like, I am picturing scenes from Princess Bride, like Mm -hmm. as you describe this, because I think partially because he kind of looks like um, Andre the Giant. He does. Yeah. I didn't realize and that. And so, until like, you when you're that, like, yes. when you're like the city gates, I'm like imagining the scene where yeah. you're like at the city gates. <laughs> That's perfect. I have the key. Um. <laughs> okay, so there's an example in here of that I want to read, the, of why things are not maybe going the way that they want it to be going. Here is an example of conversation between Sarah. And Harlan, as they're mm-hmm. talking about the plan that they're devising. Harlan says, Sarah, that gesture may cost you your life. Don't be silly. I braved the worst that Gorlot could do, and Gorlot is nowhere near as deadly for you as Stanall, Harlan said, in such earnest that my, lev- my levity failed me. 
You never come right out and explain, I wailed softly. He shook his head irritably. It is not a simple thing to explain. I don't understand how you came to let Maxwell claim you. Surely you must realize how little you know of this planet. I couldn't agree more. Then how can you expect to play a part which calls for constant public appearances while everything you do and say will be remarked? The tiniest slip will be noticed. Sarah. Sarah. (laughs) So this is Harlan basically berating Sarah for not being knowledgeable enough about their culture and messing something up with the plan that now she's going to be noticed by everybody. She's, she essentially puts herself into the public eye. Okay. She runs into a guy. Once she gets into the city, she runs into a guy who turns out to be another one of Harlan's nephews. Um, and, and also in line for the Regency and the warlordship. And she runs into him and, kind of in her feistiness steps up and says that they're dating. It's really weird that her and Harlan are dating. No, no, no. Her her and this kid that she just ran into at the lemonade stand. Okay. Wait, they have lemonade on this planet? No, it's called cornade. Gross. (laughs) Yeah. I am not for that. Nope. Um, But so she, when she's in the city, she goes to get a drink. She runs into this guy and, because she really, as she's standing there, she's like, I don't know what anything is called. I don't know how to buy myself a drink. And this kid like kind of bumps into her and thinks that she's somebody else. And then he's so embarrassed. And to put him at ease, she's like, oh, no problem. Just buy me a drink and then we will be friends. And he's like, oh, okay, fine. But then these rowdy bullies come around the corner and they're like, hey, 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 Maxwell, what are you doing? Oh, is this your girlfriend? Oh, you, you can't, you aren't sexually proficient. That's like a big part of them. They're trying to prove that he is impotent so that he then can't claim his warlordship his line his place in line of warlordship will be knocked out of the running Uh, isn't that weird that's a little yeah that's very weird (laughs) that's a big part of the plot is that they're trying to prove this guy impotent and so sarah very rashly decides to help this kid out and like spends the night with him, but doesn't have sex with him, but kind of makes it look like that when she comes out the next morning, like infers that they did have sexual relations. Uh Um, not realizing that Harlan already like in their customs has basically married her because she doesn't know about the culture. She doesn't realize that she she and Harlan are married. She doesn't know that they're married. No. How, how, what is the custom that makes them married? He just says, I claim you. That's that's a weird thing. To it's say. a weird thing to say. When does does she not realize that saying something weird like that might mean something? <laughs> no, because it's it's when they're on the boat. There's nobody else around. They're not like a priest or anything. It's just her and Harlan on the boat. Uh huh. And he says, "I claim you." And okay. She says, okay. Cool. And she's not she's not used to this. On okay. Earth, she wasn't the best looking. She spends a lot of time talking about that when she comes to herself uh-huh. out of her fugue of shock. She's like, what is this new body? Oh my gosh, my nose, it's perfect. It's not the beaked horror that it used to be. (laughs) Wow. She was really down on her nose. And now she's in this beautiful body with beautiful golden skin. So she's not used to men paying her attention like this. And so she's just like kind of confused the whole time that Harlan is trying to profess attraction to her. So she's just like, you claim me. That's weird. Okay, whatever. And she kind of thinks maybe he wants me to be his girlfriend, but she doesn't realize that like this means we are married. Okay. But why does it matter that why does it matter that she inferred that they're dating 
if no one knows that Harlan is around and alive? Is it just like this is hurting Harlan's feelings because... Well, Harlan's going to come... This Their whole plan is to get Harlan back into power. Oh, okay. And so once he is once back in, in power, power and they are married, then people are going to be like, hey, wait, what's up? I thought you this... were married to Maxwell. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's why it's problematic. And she doesn't She doesn't realize that. She's just trying to help out Maxwell because he bought her a cornade during the festival. That's yeah. Well, yeah. I'm I, not going to help anyone out <laughs> if you may, give me a beverage man on a corner. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That's a really intense level of loyalty for very little. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, she's got a good heart, I guess. Yeah. 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 Um, so I'm trying to think what comes next. So they're, yeah. so they're in, in the city. Maxwell, because just, you know, serendipitously, she runs into Maxwell, who, of course, is connected to everybody that she needs to get in touch with uh-huh. to put this plot into into play. Um, you mean you mean she eerily comes into contact with him and he buys her a corn beverage? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that there's a, a kernel of, uh, of fate oh, in yeah. this story. There really is. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Um, <laughs> As you wish. <laughs> so she she has Maxwell take her to Farrell, which she recognizes him. He's the guy way back in the beginning who was at the hospital looking at Harlan, checking up on him. And that whole conversation set off her plot to like rescue Harlan because that conversation was where she figured out that Harlan was being drugged. Okay. So she recognizes him. He doesn't look in good health. Uh-oh. Is he also being drugged? He's also being drugged. Oh, my gosh. Does he not, does he know that he's he being doesn't, drugged? He doesn't. He suspects, but he can't say it to anyone because everyone will be like, you're crazy. We'll, we'll send you to the mental institution now, too. And he's like, but that's my point. Yeah. <laughs> so he looks really, really drawn, and his face is gray. And she comes up to him, and she says, Harlan is alive. He needs you to convene the council so that he can prove his sanity. And Farrell has a heart attack. What? The shock of her revelation causes him to have a heart attack. <gasps> well, but I guess I'm just confused as to why she did that. So that it seems really rash. Well, it does, especially since that that was the initial plan. But then, mm-hmm. you know, they came upon the second plan where everybody can get in the city. And Sarah doesn't need to be doing this part of the plan anymore. So why is she still doing this part of the plan? Because when she runs into Maxwell and figures out who he is and that he's connected to people that she could be talking to, she thinks, why not do this? What if the other plan fails? Then we have me as a backup. So she's not sitting back passively. She's like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm in a position now to be able to do this. Right. But then her, her one, the the drawback is that she doesn't actually understand like the culture. Like she has like the bravery and the intelligence to do it but she doesn't have like the know-how yes okay yep that's the drawback um since Farrell is incapacitated there's now you mean had a heart attack (laughs) (laughs) well yeah is he wait so does he die he doesn't die he's just laid up he's in bed and he's like relieved of his duties his warlordship duties so there's now a contest for the warlordship and and so any like appointments are null and void so Harlan is no longer the regent Gorlot is no longer the regent. Oh, it's like it's like everything resets. Right. While like we when you have a new president, like they get yes. to appoint new political appointees. Yeah. Okay. So while they figure everything out, who's going to be the next warlord? Everything's set Shut back down. to zero. Okay. Um, Maxwell has a claim to the warlordship. 
So does Harlan's brother. And then, um, and I think that, but not Harlan, not Harlan. I don't know why. I, I honestly don't know why. I think maybe it's something to do with the military service because Harlan had served more military service. He was better appointed to the other then position because he had military service. He he's not lead. eligible for a warlord position. It is actually very confusing <laughs> nomenclature. Okay. <laughs> Cause the warlord is like the president. The regent is like the head of the military. Okay. Uh, yeah. Those should be and switched. I can, I can suspend disbelief on these. Okay. Cool. Okay. Um, Maxwell overcomes some claims some okay. some um, doubt as to his claim for warlord. Okay, and becomes the warlord, and then appoints Harlan as his regent. Were those were the claims that he overcame his claims of like the yes. the accusations of impotency? Yes, impotency. And oh, okay. So so yeah. Sarah saved his butt. Yes. Okay, she did. <laughs> Way to go, Sarah. I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, this complicates things for both Sarah and Harlan, and then also Maxwell has a love. Her name is Farah. <laughs> uh, yep, they're they're spelled almost exactly the same, except one has an S and one has an F. Um, so that complicates things for the two couples because now Sarah, having you know publicly announced basically that she had sex with Maxwell, even though they didn't, has to kind of appear at his side for functions and stuff. Okay. Um, and that's, it's a little tangly. It works itself out in the end. Everybody is able to be happily with the person they've chosen. Spoiler alert. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> now we know. Okay. <laughs> but it's, it's not important. It's not oh, like okay. an impo- a super important part. Well, I guess what it would could you say be, but like I wasn't the main, the goal main, of the characters in this book. So the main goal, the first main goal is to reinstate Harlan. Okay. As a regent. The second plot point um, is that there's a menacing force called the Mill who patrol this area of space and have attacked Lothar many times in their history. Their whole history is basically um, an oral tradition of telling about attacks of the Mill and everyone has like a deep conviction that someday our technology will be enough that we will go to the home planet of the mill and destroy them because they've wreaked such havoc through our entire history. So that's why their leader is called the warlord is because yes. their whole yeah. society is geared around war on the mill. Okay. Yeah. So that's the main thing. And that's why Harlan wants to get back into the Regency because Gorlot, when he was ousting Har- Harlan and, and, you know, usurping his position as regent, he was, opening up their defenses he was placing incompetent men in strategic positions in their defensive barrier okay and that comes about we'll find we'll, fi- we'll find out why Gorlot was doing that but that's why harlan he was like we got to get Gorlot out of there he's opening up our defenses the mill are going to come we're not going to be prepared um and then so those are the two main points the subplot that is part of this is the stigma that surrounds people who have been restored. So restorees. Okay. So such Sarah, as Sarah is uh, like a pariah. Yes. pariah. Sarah's a pariah. But she actually doesn't have any of the telltale signs that former restorees have. So normally because the, the process is akin to plastic surgery, but like the entire skin is taken off the person and then, Blech. and then, restored with a different a different skin and there's normally telltale marks at the wrists and the ankles and the neck so harlan's always rubbing her wrist 
that's made a big point of because he's always checking to see if there's that seam there from her being restored. Oh. She doesn't have it. She's like the latest and greatest in restoration technology. Okay. Um, but Is her being human, does that have something to do with it? Like, because you were saying that the other restories are like Lotharians. Yes. And the, the whole, th- um, I didn't quite get this, but the process of restoration starts with the mill. The mill come and attack people. Or capture people, I guess. They capture people, and they've traditionally done it mostly on Lothar. Captured them, and then break down their genetic DNA, and then rebuild them up. Oh. And so that's part of So anyone who is put back on the planet as a restoree, and you can tell they're immediately killed because they've been messed with by the mill, and, that, and that's how they're viewed. Is oh, You've been wow. in contact with the mill. You're no longer a natural Lotharian, and they're put to death. Okay. So Harlan's trying to protect Sarah this whole time because he loves her. He's overcome his um, aversion mm-hmm. to restorees and realized, oh, wait, you're a person, not just a restoree. And so he's trying to protect her from being discovered as someone who's been restored. Yeah. Okay. So um, it comes about, they find out what Gorlot has been doing. He has opened their defenses in a strategic way that there's two planets um, pretty close to Lothar with a people that are just placid, mild, um, don't really care about anything and have really good climate and like really desirable planets. So everyone on Lothar wants to. So it's like Florida. Yes. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Florida has a terrible climate. (laughs) Everyone on Lothar wants to emigrate to these two planets. Um, Okay. And the, it's been complicated by a process of people that are richer, have a higher place in line. People, they want, they want to expand for agriculture out to those planets, but, Uh but, you know, special interests are coming in and interfering with everything. Um, And Gorla is the one who is promoting a lot of those special interests. And what he has done, he opened up the defenses in such a way that the mill were able to come down in a narrow tunnel through the defenses, not touching either Lothar or their two ally planets, the Glan and the Ertoy, um, but just go straight down this tunnel to the two planets called Tain, mm-hmm. and they have wiped out every resident of the two planets of Tain. Why? Gor- well, because that's what the mill do. The mill don't. The, Gorlot hasn't like arranged with the mill. You do this, and I'll and I'll give I'll incentivize it by giving you money. That's just what the mill do. They capture humans and redesign them and also sometimes eat them. Oh. Yeah. So that's their incentive. They're like, sweet, two unprotected planets with a bunch of humans that we can eat and like mess around with their DNA. That's awesome. And Gorlot's incentive in that is that, okay, then we'll have two free planets that we don't have to worry about their native populations. Um, And it's just free for us to go up there and set up special interests. And Oh, my gosh. I'm starting to see... Why you were liking Anne McCaffrey so much. Yes. <laughs> this is like a really interesting allegory, yeah. Par- parable. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, yeah. It's super interesting. Um, I guess what Gorlot didn't realize is that like if, if the mill have one lane open, they're going to try and test their de- defenses and come. They're not just going to be like, okay, we're happy with just these two, these two planets. And so, in fact, that does happen. The alarm sounds. 
the biggest fleet of mill ships that has ever been seen in recorded history on this planet are heading towards them to their weakened defenses because Gorlot weakened them by putting incompetent men in charge of these outposts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Harlan is so mad, but you know, it's his job now as head of the military, military, he has to get it taken care of, but he just is so frustrated because there's not people he can count on out there. Right. So the last bit of the book is them tensely in in underground vault chambers that have been built because of their history. You know, the mill have attacked so many times that they've built up a series of caves that they can hide in when the mill are coming to attack. And Sarah, because of her status as Maxwell's like betrothed or whatever, uh-huh. she gets to be in the one, the highest ranking one where all the military action is going on. And she can like watch the screens uh-huh. and see which ships are doing what. Yeah. And, um, one of the, the ally planets, the Ertoy, have developed an electromagnetic frequency. They have developed these resonators that when you surround the the mill with these and turn them all on turn them on all at once, mm-hmm. it destroys them. It destroys their genetic nature and they just turn oh, to jelly. Oh interesting. Yeah. Ooh, gross. <laughs> it has never been tried but it's been tried by them, but the people on Lothar have never had enough electric power to be able to do it until until recently okay. um harlan's brother jokan has been working on it yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> weird name jokan um he's been working on it he's been outfitting their ships with that so that's their it's never been tried before they've never had an, an offensive weapon against the mill they've just always taken a defensive position and lost 80 percent of their men and ships every time they had oh. it, it, they had a tussle with the mill so uh-huh. it's i mean it's it's a deeply ingrained fear Right. Culturally for these people. So um, Harlan goes out with all these ships that, that Joe Can has outfitted with these, with these resonators. And they surround the mill fleet. And they turn on the resonators. And it doesn't look like anything is happening. And everyone's freaking out because they're like, well, now, now the mill are going to be here on our planet. And what are we going to do? But as it comes closer, uh-huh. they realize that it did work. It worked the most powerfully on the ships in the middle. And... The ships on the ends of the fleet didn't get as strong of a, a, a pulse. Uh-huh. And so then Harlan has had to break off and send fighter ships out to deal with those ships on the end. Okay. So that's what they're engaged in right now. And they're, they're figuring it out. They, um, they shoot cannons. Basically, they decimate this fleet of the mill. They capture ships. They figure out where, where the mill had come from. This is important. Okay. Because. Tell me. When Harlan gets back and he, he says, Sarah, you need to come with me to one of these ships we captured. And he takes her to the ship and she has immediate trauma flashbacks. Oh my God. Because she recognizes the people on that ship as people from Earth. <gasps> so these mill ships had just come from Earth <sighs> and were, and Earth. Wait, so are the mill, are the mill humans? No, they're not human. They had captured a bunch of humans. And oh. Earth is unprepared to deal with this because oh. we're so technologically behind okay. everybody in yeah. the rest of this space quadrant. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Everybody else knows about the mill and Earth people don't. And so they got okay. easily captured. And so Harlan takes Sarah out there and he says, I'm so sorry I had to do that to you and have you relive that trauma. But I needed to make sure that these were actually people from Earth because the mill left their 
we captured them so quickly that they left all of their coordinates plugged in in their navigation systems. So we can figure out now how to get back to Earth and we can warn your people that the mill are out there and we can offer our help to them. Wow. Yeah. So okay. Earth is finally going to be have some defenses against the mill. Um, one last little bit after that happens, Harlan outfits an expedition and leaves to go um, have preliminary contact with Earth. So he's gone. Mm-hmm. And Sarah gets called into a council Uh-oh. where they figure out that she is a restoree. <gasps> <laughs> and she's and she's scared because the physician that's there, he thinks that she he doesn't know that she's from Earth. He wants to get her back into his clinic where uh-huh. he's been practicing restoration, even though it's forbidden on Lothar because of the connotation. With the mill doing it, it's forbidden on Lothar, even though it can be helpful. Like, for instance, um, accident. Plas- yeah, accident. So, doing plastic surgery to help people that have been that have been in situations that's helpful, right. but because of the connotation, it's been forbidden. Hmm. So, he he actually performed surgery on Sarah uh-huh. when she, when he found her in the crash, and he just assumed she was one of the people from the Tain planets. Oh, because of how she was acting, because she was in shock. He uh-huh. just assumed she's not fully possessed of her mental faculties. She's from Tain. She's one of these placid people that is not as smart as we are. Uh, yeah, okay. that's how t- that's how Tain was described. Um, and so, and he thinks everyone else uh, in my program has been able to recover their mental faculties and like learn to learn to write again, learn to speak the language. And Sarah has learned a lot of things, but she hasn't learned how to write in Lotharian. Huh. And so that's like how they catch her in their trap. They're like, will you write down the sentence you just said? And she's like, I can't. And so they think he thinks that he did something wrong in restoring her so that she doesn't have that part of her brain there. Okay. And he wants to get her back in his clutches so that he can continue experimenting on her. And Harlan's not there to speak up for her. And so she's trying to figure out how do I prove to these people like where I'm from and what this is about. And before Harlan left, he wrote a note to Farrell, his nephew everybody i can't ever remember how they're related (laughs) but he wrote a note to him and so pharaoh bursts into the council and he shows them harlan's note and then everyone realizes wait a minute you're from another planet we have another planet in our quadrant that we can talk to and so and then along with that they're like you don't even look like a restoree we can't tell from your wrists or your ankles or your neck Uh so maybe this and you're also more empathetic and more of I guess of a person than people that we have current that we have formerly experienced as restorees because all the restorees came from the mill and so were huh not sympathetic you couldn't really talk with them the way that you could a non-restored person and so huh she changes their minds a little bit about restorees and okay so changing attitudes towards restorees are coming about. Yeah, towards people who are traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and she she doesn't have to go with that doctor because he realizes, oh, wait, you're different. You're not mentally challenged in the way I thought you were. You're just from a different world. That's why right. you act different from the people I restore. So that they, Do Lotharians write in a really weird way? They is must. Is that kind of like the implication? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Their language is just really different and it's a different system of writing. Okay. 
Oh, okay. So anyway, that's okay. actually that's actually where the book ends. Wow. Pharaoh comes in, gives them the note, and they're like, "Oh, you're a restoree, but we like you." So okay, that's great. Okay, so it, wait, is this a series? No, that's it. We don't ever find out if they get to Earth, if Harlan's expedition is successful. Um, that's it. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I know what my complaint about the book is. Um, <laughs> it might be the way I'm telling it, but I mean, yeah. So I want to say this. We, we picked this book. Because of the cover. Because of the cover. We looked at the cover and thought, this is going to be terrible. This is going to be so cheesy. Right. Because I was, I gave you the choice of six books and I said, you can veto two. Yeah. And we were both looked at this book and we were like, nope, this one's going to be great. <laughs> it looks like a, like, because Laurel mentioned it has rockets shooting up on the cover art. And, but like, I'm like, okay, so sci-fi, obviously there's rockets in this book, but then the, the two people in the foreground, like the way he's holding her in, in his arms and the way makes her, it look like a romance it ma- novel. Yeah. The yeah. way her robe is blowing open. It's like, yeah, this is going to be kind of romancy. There are a few romancy bits, like a uh-huh. little bit of sexy bits where you're like, I don't want to, I don't really care about this. Just let's just read about some rockets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but because, because I guess just because of the way it was presented on this cover. So I actually looked that up. This this is actually Anne McCaffrey's first novel ever written. Oh, okay. It's, and it's super successful. Um, she wrote it in 1967. The issue, But it doesn't say that it's a New York Times best-selling book. I, it must not have been at this point. I don't know. But the issuing that we have is the 10th printing. And so they changed the... The, the covers. The cover art. Because it looks printings. very pulpy. So yeah. who... Like, did... You said you... You mentioned before the podcast that you had looked up, like, who did the cover art? I did. So, let me pull this up really quick. I put it on my, I looked it up on my computer. So, actually, the people who did the cover art are the Brothers Hildebrandt. Okay. So, it's Greg and Tim Hildebrandt. They are internationally known illustrators. They are best known for painting fantasy art and sci-fi art. Um, One of the things that they were internationally known for was the original Star Wars movie poster. So I was like, oh, these guys are kind of a big deal. I kind of looked into them a little bit. Um, Tim Hildebrandt actually passed away in 2006, and it's just Greg now. And Greg is still illustrating. Greg actually has a whole... a whole project that he's doing that's uh, paintings, like pinup, traditional pinup girls, pinup uh-huh. art um, that he's doing right now. But like they worked on a lot of different things. Just from right here, it says Tolkien, Star Wars, Marvel, Harry wow. Potter. They did some Harry Potter illustrations, not for the official books, but just like here's one of a like poster. Promotional stuff? Or promotional stuff? Yeah. Oh. Here's one for the Trans Siberian Orchestra program cover in 2014 yeah so they're well known oh okay so maybe at this time in 1984 when this book was reprinted they weren't as well known no 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 because if they did the original star wars poster then no i i wonder if maybe it's just because it's the it's the 10th printing of a book and you're trying to reach a different audience like you're you're just trying to people are looking for a cheap read and i mean as mentioned it before, it says one dollar on the cover, um, and that is not the that is not the sticker that the book I bought it from like put on there. Yeah, and uh, and so like maybe it's just a way of reaching different audiences because I don't know. Do you listen to the podcast Reading Glasses? I haven't. No, it's it's is really it good? good. I recommend. They talk about in a few episodes um, how book covers mm-hmm. can impact. Like they're very tailored to who you want the person who you want 
to buy the book. Okay. And so I'm wondering if by the 10th printing, they were like, oh, you know, we've tapped out. Everyone who should have read this book before has already read this book. Right. And so, and so now we're going to change the cover up and sell it in a different format. And maybe that'll reach a different audience. Yeah. Because it is, it does look very pulpy. Yeah. yeah. Just the paperback printing. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense, actually. Which is to say, I mean, like, pulp is, like, you know, gives marginalized voices, mm-hmm. like, a, a space, right? And so there's, like, some really great stuff about pulp, but there's some really... <laughs> I mean, which is why we went for it, right? Because of the reputation that pulp has. I guess that's on us for assuming that yes. the cover art... That we've judged this book by its cover really hard, and... Actually, I was really pleasantly surprised. I told Laurel I was reading it, and as I was coming to the end, I had maybe 10 pages left, and I was um, sitting by my husband reading, and I closed the book, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to put this away. And he's like, what's up? And I'm like, it's so intense right now. What's happening? I just need to take a little break from it. And he's like, well, that doesn't sound terrible. I'm like, I know it's not. I don't know what I'm going to talk about on the podcast because it's called Terrible Books with Kate. But I told Laurel I still wanted to do it just for this reason. I think we're, I think we're maybe going to come across this once yeah. in a while we're going to find a book that we think is going to be bad and then I would rather we talk about being pleasantly surprised than not talking about it at all and just going out and finding another yeah really bad book and I mean there were still some plot holes there were yeah yeah <laughs> still some horrible names horrible beverages <laughs> I think we can enjoy that yeah um yeah I mean did anything else about this this land strike you I mean one of my favorite things about sci-fi mm-hmm. is the world building yeah um and so while I might hate the idea of corn juice, I love the idea that there is a society <laughs> that drinks corn juice. Yeah. And I want to I want to learn some more about about that society and the way the author describes it. Is there anything she goes into it a little bit? She talks ma- mainly about differences between because it's coming from Sarah's point of view. Sarah's like, well, this is the way we're similar. Lothar and Earth, and this is the way we're different. So Lothar is more technologically advanced in some areas. But for instance, they haven't like invented paper. They just carry around slates okay. with them and write on slates all the time. Huh. Um, I don't know. Environmentally, Environmentally friendly. friendly. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah's like, it's so hard to write on these slates. Let's go to Earth and I'll bring back paper for you guys. And they're like, okay, we don't care about that. But we kind of need trees for that. And it looks like all you have on your landscape are rockets. rockets. So that's it. Yeah. Um, I want to say something about Anne McCaffrey before we end because yeah. I think. I think in our last episode, we talked a lot about Robin Cook, the author of the book, and we kind of, I think we we poked some fun at him just for mm-hmm. being out of touch and not knowing how friends talk with each other. Uh-huh. Um, so we we were talking about his book, but we also talked just about his writing style. So I want to touch on Anne McCaffrey and her writing style. I really liked the way she wrote. I was very caught up. I got into the suspense of the plot, and I liked the... Um, the way that she laid out the mystery that was going to happen and the way that she told it from Sarah's point of view. And actually this being her first novel written in 1967, this is what she said about it. She said, unlike most science fiction books of the era, Restory's heroine is a strong willed, intelligent woman who is willing and able to think for herself and act on her own initiative. Oh, sorry. This is not what she said. This is what Wikipedia was quoting. McCaffrey was widely quoted as saying that Restory was intended as a jab at how women were usually portrayed in science fiction. So that was from her, just her, her Wikipedia page. And then I clicked into the Wikipedia for the book and it says Restory features an intelligent survivor type woman as a once off jab at the way women were portrayed in science fiction while always reading about women cowering in a corner awaiting rescue by the hero, McCaffrey objected that she would have been in the fighting herself. 
So yeah. I like that. I was like, yeah, yeah, Anne McCaffrey in the 60s getting excited about science fiction. And, and somewhere else in one of these articles, she talked about how um, she noticed the audiences of science fiction were a lot of women and there wasn't a ton that was written for them for their point of view. Right. And so she started writing that. She started writing that fiction for them and had immediate response from them. And she's like, really, I had the hardest time reaching male audiences and, and you know, making them believe or proving to them to them that I was worth reading. Yeah. Um, but she had the women audience from the get-go. And that is, that's evident. There are some anachronistic things where you're like, okay, we've come a little further now as, as women. Um, some consent things where Sarah doesn't realize that she's married to Harlan. And, and uh-huh. that was a little problematic in the way that he just claimed her. Um, yeah, it's a different culture on a different planet, <laughs> of course, but still. <laughs> of course, that's kind of a, I mean, m- men are not given a whole ton of respect in this book either if their entire like ability to rule or not rule is dependent on performance yeah (laughs) um yeah but Uh, okay I walked away from this book with a really big respect of Anne McCaffrey and then I looked into her a little more and that I gained respect even more she she actually died in um in 2011 she was 85 years old and she had a really prolific writing career she wrote I think most famously she wrote the dragon riders of Pern that was her most famous oh um, I've heard about that series okay yeah when when my husband saw what I was reading he was like oh that lady I I read the dragon riders by her and I was like oh okay so she's yeah legit (laughs) (laughs) so that's I guess that's my caveat today sometimes we won't always have terrible books on this podcast uh even though our name is terrible books Uh, but I think I still want to talk about them just because we're learning about different writing styles and different ways that authors do things. So yeah. Yeah. And I am learning how to choose a good, terrible book. (laughs) That being said, I did post on our Instagram and I just said to some people, if you guys have any suggestions, send them our way. And one of my um, friends, she actually sent us a suggestion of a book that would be terrible. So if anybody wants to send us suggestions of a book that you have personally read and found terrible, we would love to check it out. Um, and maybe it'll be one of the books that Laurel assigns to me. Yeah, and remember that uh, we also have a website. Uh, go to terriblebooks.net, and um, on there you can leave us any comments that you want on our website. Um, if we are being um, hilarious, please tell us. We like compliments. If we're being <laughs> horrible, tell us. If we're being problematic, please tell us. We always want to learn. Yes, um, for sure. So we are very open to corrections. Okay, so Laurel, mm-hmm. having talked about this, talked about yeah. Anna McCaffrey and everything, Here's our rubric. Do do you regret not reading this book? Yeah, kind of. Uh, it sounds really gripping, and I think I'm going to put Dragon Riders of Pern on my uh, vacation um, read list along with uh, a Robin Cook book. <laughs> it's 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 really it's really confusing to say Robin Cook book book. Yeah, Robin Cook book. It's like I'm going to cook a bunch of birds. Um, I, yeah, I'm gonna. I have to go to the bookstore bookstore tomorrow to pick up some stuff. Um, books and so I'm gonna pick up a Robin Cook novel and I'm gonna maybe see if they have a copy of Dragon Riders that'll be awesome yeah Yeah, definitely well cool thank you guys for being with us talking about Restory by Anne McCaffrey it's been really fun bye bye